Disciples podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you so much for being here today. Those of you who have listened to this podcast for a while already know this, but I'm reminded that I am new to Awana. I'm constantly hearing from those of you who have been involved in this ministry for decades. And I started in November. Remember November? It was a simpler time. So in this season, this scary season that we are now in, navigating this uncertain times, the fact that you have chosen to engage with this podcast, to click play, even if you did so by accident, tells me that God has done things in this ministry that are unlike anywhere else in the kingdom. And it also tells me that God is still at work in your ministry, in your local context, in your household. God was not surprised by the coronavirus. And Awana wants to help you continue to do the work that we've always done, which is help you make resilient disciples. We didn't always call it that, but that has been what we have been up to for the past 70 years. So if you scroll up one episode in your podcast feed, you'll see a conversation that I had with Valerie Bell, the CEO of Awana, that was centered around an article that she wrote for the Billy Graham Institute. The title of the article is How to Help Our Kids Deal with Fears Surrounding COVID-19. I wanted to bring in Chris Marchand and Kristen Thompson, along with Valerie, to continue the conversation centered around that article, but to begin to show what that can look like in your local context. And I'll just speak to the fact that on the podcast front, we're gonna be sharing conversations that we feel can be helpful to you in this time, both highly practical things to do with your kids as you continue the work of making resilient disciples. But we're also gonna share things that we just think will allow you to rest in the comfort that God is still at work and God is still in control. I believe this conversation does both of those things. So here is episode 19 of the Resilient Disciples podcast. Well, you know, I think as I look at the advice that I hear from um, even Christian sources, I wonder sometimes how we miss the basics. <laughs> and, um, you know, when they told us uh, how to respond to the coronavirus at the beginning and how to stop its um, progression, I don't know if you felt like I did, but they're going like, wash your hands, don't touch your face, stay away from people. I'm going, that's it? Yeah. Where's the inoculation? Yeah. Where's the advanced world medicine that's going to help us? Also, I touch my face all the time. Yeah, I do that's, too. That's what I realized But you know, yeah. basically they said, go to your bathroom sink and take care of this all the time. <laughs> I thought that was kind of crazy, but it turns out to be so very important, the basics. And uh, as we look at uh, this situation in our families, sometimes I think our own anxiety causes us to miss the fact that there are some real opportunities to have talks and to be with our kids in ways we haven't before for a while. I think people are recognizing that this is an opportunity for the church to really lead, but that there's also this tension. We know God's greater than the coronavirus, but how, what does that actually look like? So let me do this. Uh, Kristen, I want to start with you about just from your perspective, maybe even as simple as how you began, you and your husband began to think about how to talk about this with your own kids. But what is something that like that people can begin to take if you're doing one thing with your kids during this time? What is something that you should be thinking about right now? Mm. Yeah, I think when we, so we have three kids, their ages are five, eight, and 11, girl, boy, girl. 
um, all kinds of different personalities um, from the fiery go-getter to the anxious, uh, cautious one. And I think for us, we had to think through um, recognizing that the fact that this is a before and after sort of event in their lives. So this isn't something that they will forget um, that this happened, that school was canceled um, for a longer period of time, that um, just like many of us have in our own lives, those moments that are pivotal before and after on a national level, whatever, you know, experience that takes you back to as a kid, um, that this is one of those moments for our kids. So recognizing that and that um, whether we liked it or not, that it was our job to, it's our job to be the grownups in the situation and to figure out how to navigate this um, with our kids in a way that um, gives them ownership and mm. involvement um, as well as makes the hard decisions for them. Um, so those are some of the things that we talked about Um when we got together, like the last day before they, that school was canceled, we went out to lunch together um, and just talked through like, yep, this is, we're really heading into it, which is kind of nice to have that moment. Um, so the, that's one way I think that in terms of having it all figured out, I think that from our experience as parents, which I think most parents would agree with, is that you know that you're never going to have it all figured <laughs> out and that no amat, amount of like planning or um, awesome structure and schedule is going to work all the time or right. solve all these issues. And so uh, for us, we just wanted to involve our kids um, as a group, as a family. Um, we have you know, ages where there's three years between each kid, which means each kid's really at their own spot. Mm -hmm. And so that means some conversations we're having together and then some conversations we um, have to have separate from from an, one another so that we can really um, meet them where they're at. This is about faith and heart posture and, t and us and everything that we do at Awana being a partner to you on the local level. So how you began your article was that you have to realize that these these scary times are more than scary times. So um, one of the uh, lovely talks that I think parents can have that sometimes we just kind of skip over is, um, you know, when I was a kid, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, there were other scary times. And uh, I learned that God was with me. Yeah. And um, we have a saying in our family, I don't think it made it into this piece, but we say God is in the messes. And by that we mean that God is most creatively loosed in the problems we can't solve for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I see that uh, not only on a family level or a personal level, but I see that on a global uh, level that there is a way that God is going to be working through this. And I agree with Kristen, there'll be a before and after, but in a sense, the after may be uh, eye-opening, uh, more clarity. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, th I think that discipleship begins with a discipler. And the discipler is the one who says, you know, I know this is scary, but it's been scary before. And let me show you how faith works. Mm -hmm. This is what I believe about God and how he works in the world and how I've experienced him in the world. And then, you know, uh, uh, without trying to be formulaic, I know that it will sound like that, but don't assume anything. 
don't assume because your child has been in Christian school since they were, you know, two years old and they're 12 now, that they actually know God. That's good. Don't assume that they understand what salvation is and how it works or how faith releases us from the tentacles of fear and anxiety and hopelessness that this world is bound to, Mm -hmm. right? This might be your child's first opportunity to really live out what faith looks like in a big global type environment. The faith that they practice in their church, the faith that they practice amongst you as a family, this is that otherness uh, on a global scale. Chris, I want to kind of shift the conversation because as Valerie goes and continues in the piece, the next point talks about children and having a sort of a spiritual toolbox to handle moments like these. Mm -hmm. And I think about what science tells us is about how unprecedented this moment is. As you begin to, even with your own kids, or just as you begin to think about this as the kind of thought leader that you are, what kind of tools do you think are most important in moments like this for so, the discipler and the so I think, disciple? I think for the discipler, I, I think this is a time to recognize just how slowly God walks. Um, That's good. And what I mean by that is that... Um, so I'm going to take this a weird way. I promise I'll come back to it. Um, but in the there's in the pics and <laughs> trust me on this in the Pixar I, movie, I do, The man. Incredibles, they they poke fun at villains for monologuing. Like they go, oh, he got me monologuing. And yeah. and I think about when when we are scared as parents, we tend to monologue to our kids mm. and try to endow with them all of the wisdom, all of the information, all of our our feelings. We we you know project those on them as well. When really we have to shift our thinking to really how we see God operate in the scriptures, which isn't a, it's not a treatise. It's, it's not a, a long monologue. It's a, it's a, it's a hundred or a thousand little conversations. Mm. I think so. As you start the day with your kids, it's how are you today? Do you have any big feelings? Is there anything that really scares you? Is there anything that because this is the other thing is that I do believe that kids believe that crayons and paper can save the world um, <laughs> to, to some degree. I, I think you put crayons and a piece of paper in front of a child and they see those as powerful tools to be able to do something. Yeah. And if even if they can't say it or they can't talk about it or for whatever reason, give them an opportunity to draw out their feelings. Hmm. It's, it's about giving them an avenue to step into their life and help them be able to explain and communicate some things that are going on deeper underneath surface. So I, I think that's one of the things to encourage parents to do is that it's not a one and done. It's not a, Hey, we're going to sit down and have our family conversation about, you know, COVID-19 and we're, we're going to move on to other things. It's a, this, this is a daily touch point uh, because their uh, emotions are evolving just as rapidly and just as strongly um, as your own. That's good. Well, and I think that, um, we want so many things to be a sort of one and done, right? And for those of you who are parenting older children, and, you know, to be clear, a lot of this conversation is structured around parents and children, but we know that there's there's a wider spectrum of this. We know there's grandparents. We know that there are some ministries that are still finding really creative, awesome ways to engage with their kids during this time, which is awesome. Uh, but we know that so much of this starts at home. And we know that especially in times of uncertainty, uh, people get more drawn into their home environments. So that, Valerie, similar question, whether, you know, it's the stuff that you put into the article or not, but for the discipler and the resilient disciple, like what are, what are the tools that you really hope people are leaning into right now? Um, they're going to sound like wash your hands. They're going to sound <laughs> like the spiritual version of wash your hands. So, you know, I like what, uh, 
uh, Chris said about, you know, get the feelings out and all the fears, look at all that. Unfortunately, a lot of us stop there. You mm. know, we really don't go into the toolbox then and get the standard things that have worked for centuries of believers. And so, you know, <clears throat> things like Christian community, make sure that your children aren't getting all their information from um, secular sources, that they are exposed to a Christian community, even if it ends up being just your family in your home because you're isolated there. Make sure that that community is talking about Christian uh, ways of dealing with this. Um, many children, uh, even small children, um, need help to learn how to pray. You know, and we take that for granted, but children don't know. I feel like people right now have this sort of moment of like, okay, we know it's a big deal now. But what do we do now? You know, what do you feel like for the discipler and the disciple are the spiritual tools that need to be practiced right now? Hmm. Well, I think one of the things that really works in our favor is this egocentrism that's part of kids nature right like for your daughter to say um if i'm sick did i cause this all to happen like there's a really challenging part to that and there's a really great part to this because the good news is that no matter how sheltered we've tried to uh, make our kids they all have dealt with difficulty before Mm -hmm. and they've all dealt with difficulty that is at the level where they felt like the world was going to end and they were going to die from it you know like that i mean that's my my eight-year-old boy, you know, like if he loses a board game, like I'm going to die. <laughs> right. So, but that's also true for them with like, um, you know, being socially snubbed by a playmate or having their truck taken from them at the age of two. Like these are not or big bath issues, time. bath time, yep. all the things. Right. And the, the reality is they've all had to deal with um, things that feel awful to them, even if, Um, Of course, you can say, relatively speaking, that there's nothing that compares to maybe some of the other things that other kids have had to deal with or whatever. But the good news about kids' egocentrism is um, it's nothing is nothing needs to be relative. You can say to a kid, "Okay, imagine that time when something really terrible happened to you and they might be thinking about something that like objectively we'd say that's not terrible at all. Or they might be thinking about something that we don't know about that actually was really terrible that happened. But for them, there are those moments that they need to connect to, to say like, okay, what, like in those moments, did you, did you think about God? How, how was God with you in those moments? Um, You know, I think that for kids, they don't always realize that they've like traveled that road before every terrible thing feels like its own unique terrible thing um and so to give kids the um frame of reference to say like no like god's already brought me through a lot which is of course biblical and all of that but they might not get there on their own um yeah understanding that the people that they love that are older than them have been through terrible things um or have had to undergo things i think that having them connect to that is a big part of what they need to do um i think of a I, th- I think that in in the story of Jesus falling asleep um, on the boat in the storm, you know, like that whole thing. I was reading that this morning, and um, right there's all kinds of Bible study insights that would say, like, was the world any different to Jesus when the water was calm than it was when it was stormy? 
Like, obviously not. Right. Like, it was the same to him. Well, did the world feel different to the disciples when it was calm than when it was stormy? And I think to recognize for kids, like, God is always in control. Like, the amount of chaos that we see doesn't change anything about how the world is to God or what he's surprised by. I think that for kids, again, because they see so much from their own perspective that we as disciplers and older adults have to connect to them. The fact of how big God really is. Yeah. I like it a lot. And I like the idea of being able to reflect back to kids about their, what God has already done in their lives. You know, because God never changes, we can rest comfort in that this weird unprecedented thing that all these adults are trying to figure out how to deal with to quote Tim Sandoval from a conversation recently, like God was not surprised by coronavirus. And I think as we as adults try to deal with unprecedented things, we can sometimes forget that every child is different. And I'm not trying to ask you guys to be prescriptive to other people's families. Your oldest talk to your youngest, those types of conversations. How do we as parents um, correctly inform and guide those conversations? And when do we let the older brother say the thing that isn't necessarily factually correct, but to the your point earlier is speaking enough truth that it's still valuable? Like, how do you guys think about that type of framing? We do well. F- first of all, in in that conversation, one size doesn't fit all. Good, because uh, so you have to scale your information. You 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 need to make sure because I'm sure we've all been there. I knew I grew up with that, where my brother said something simply to frighten me because he knew it would frighten me because he had knowledge and power and you know what whatever. Sure. Um, and I don't think we want to create those moments. Um, so I think not just, and again, it's not just, okay, here's the monologue, drop the mic and go. It's sharing information through conversation with, with, with kids and scaling that, that information. But then here's, here's, here's what the, here's what the steering wheel looks like with that information. Yeah. (laughs) Um, because, and this is also a growth opportunity for them to learn and grow through that. Uh, they're probably not going to get it, you know, right 100% of the time. Yeah. But I think for those families where it's like okay, you got to you have a student who's pretty well advanced and working things out on their own and you have a conversation with them about this. Making sure that they know just how much can scare their younger siblings if they're not careful and being able to be responsible with that information is also just as important as the information itself. Well, I mean, I think having, giving them something to do to feel like they're part of the solution is really key. And so, yeah, I agree. You have to keep parameters on what that is. You know, I, we've um, seen things now where, okay, like make, make cars for people who are in nursing homes, those kind of things. Um, there's one going around um, just for kids to feel like life is normal. If you make art together, um, tape it to the outside of your front window of your um, home or where you live so that as kids go on walks, cause they're allowed to right now, as long as they're, you know, within six feet so they can see other people doing things mm-hmm. like that. So like different, different ways that kids can be involved. I mean, I think what we want to get down to is, um, there's so many shoulds in a time like this because we all want to feel like we're doing the right thing. Right. But in a way, all we're doing is, uh, as God's people saying to him, we love you yeah. in this time, you know? And I think like what, what you were talking about, Val, reminded me of that. You know, like my husband and I have a saying to each other when, especially when things are crazy, where we say, I love you in the middle of things. Mm-hmm. Like that's really what we're trying to, as adults and as kids to say to God, like we, we love you in the middle of things. We love you in the middle of this. So like how as a family 
can we say that to God in this time? How can we love his people to show our love for him? Um, and I think, too, uh, the other thing that we've touched on but not entirely is we're not going to assume intact families in all these situations. We're not going to assume that good. for each of these kids who are at home for three weeks that that's a pleasant thing for all of them. Let's hope it is for some, but it might not be. Um, for those those kids who are in those situations, it might only be other kids who actually know how bad that is at home. And just for them to think about their friends, um, to pray for them, the ones who maybe are the only ones, they've only been confided in, um, only other kids have um, confided in them or whatever. Uh, figuring out how to navigate those issues with those with um, those kids ideally sharing it with parents like I know my daughter will say sometimes like mom it's bad and no one no one else knows but me and then we have to talk about what we do from there right but I think that when we think about how we deal with this as kids and kids helping kids it's all about what can you do where you are with who you know and right now in a way the blessing of that is you're we're actually a little more limited there's a little more control Valerie, since you opened the door, I want to lean into the grandparent angle on this conversation too, because I think my perception on how my parents at least view being a grandparent is you have this opportunity to influence parenting without parenting yourself. And then in times, you know, my mom is our main childcare person. So she's doing a lot of, a lot of loving my kids in a time of crisis. How do you, as someone who has this sort of natural position of authority, not just here within Awana, but within your own family structure, how do you pick those moments to lead and be the one who says the thing versus uh, guide the conversation in a constructive way? Well, I think that's one of the challenges of grandparenting is to understand your role (laughs) and it can change. I mean, it can shift around. Um, But I know like last night uh, we were concerned about our older son. He's a psychotherapist and of course, you think, oh, he's going to have so much uh, people coming to him, but he's trying to figure out how to do this at a distance, how to do it virtually, and there's no um, there's no um, insurance governing it, and it's oh, just wow. it's really just a mess right now. And I when I talked to him, I could hear the I could hear the anxiety, and um, so Steve called him later, and, and he said to him, um, Bren, we just want you to remember you have parents. That we will help you. That's Whatever good. you get into, we will help you. You're not by yourself. You know? And so, um, yeah, I I believe in prayer. Yeah. So my kids, they'll tell me about what's happening with the grandkids. I'm on my knees. Because <laughs> <laughs> I learned a long time ago, you know, I can't fix not only my grandkids' problems, all of them, but my kids' problems. And But I believe that grandparents are called to advocacy with God for our children and our grandchildren. That's awesome. Yeah. And so um, love to come alongside and um, be as uh, much of a cheerleader for their lives. I, I really have not had a joy greater in life, I think, than watching my kids become parents mm. and watching them become disciplined to that job and loving their kids like they do. It's a it's a fabulous thing. So I try to be, you know, I'm never, 
whenever our family gets together, they say, Mom, bring bread, because I'm not a good cook <laughs> compared to my ah. daughter-in-law. Ah. There's a lot of things I'm not. And, and I know maybe that a lot of grandparents <laughs> feel that way. There's such a mystique about this fabulous, perfect grandparent, you know. I'm not that that person. Yeah. Um, and there are things that I've seen uh, my girlfriends do better in grandparenting than I do. I will just admit that right outside the, you know, beginning uh but all that said um i think you hit it the nobody loves your kids more than your parents yeah. love your kids and if you can have a good relationship with your parents um you'll you'll all be blessed by that a lot of the conversation right now is being moved online right it's a it's a blessing of being in the age that we're in where church can continue to happen in some form community can continue to happen in some form but i think about valerie the the community that you describe in the piece and the, and the value of that community. And now we are engaging that in the space that Chris, you always say, uh, ha digital spaces have such a little empathy. Mm -hmm. So for both the person who is now making things that are going to go online, how do we make that empathy and how do we help guide kids through what feels, you know, the, the danger of that is obviously that it becomes, you have to really work to decipher the right voices. You have to really work to find the people who are saying the true things, the people that are helping versus people who are, uh, to just talk about my people for a second, the people who were out celebrating St. Patrick's Day. So, you know, those types of folks who aren't taking this seriously also get to engage in the digital spaces that our kids are interacting with. As people are engaging online, many of whom may not like to lean into that. Many of whom are doing this podcast, who listen to this, may be some, some, you know, they may be the weird families that still have flip phones, right? And they may take a lot of great pride in that. How do they now engage in this because the moment is demanding this because that's where community is? Well, I, th I think if we keep the conversation, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, is that the technology is just a tool. Yeah. And, and tools, tools are, are finite objects for finite tasks. So for everybody who's hopping online in the next two weeks and we're going to see just how awesome or not our bandwidth mm -hmm. actually is, um, <laughs> the, I, I, the, the reality is, is that that's a Band-Aid. Like it's never and never was intended to be designed as a replacement for relationship. Good. Um, that being said, I remember that there was a story in our area. So there was a man uh, sitting out in the parking lot of an Aldi and there were two um, elderly, there was an elderly couple sitting in the car and they just rolled down their window like, you know, a half inch and they were waving him over and they've been sitting they, First of all, they've been driving all day just to be able to find a place to buy toilet paper. And they waved him over and they were actually sitting in that parking lot for 45 minutes. And they said, we are terrified. We don't know what to do. Here's a hundred dollars in a list. Will you go buy our groceries? Wow. And he did. Yeah. And so I, I think for all of us, I mean, it's, it's no different than my high school football coach saying, keep your head on the swivel. It's not just, you know, I, I think really quickly we're going to find out who our neighbor is. Good. And that, that, that the <laughs> great commandment still applies. <laughs> Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not just taking care of the people that are in your community, but us as Christians as we're out engaged in culture. And even though it looks different, whether it be digital or physical, we still abide by that over overarching principle to love your neighbor as yourself. That's great. We have a Facebook neighborhood group 
and I wrote about it in the book, it, it can get pretty snarky at times. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a bunch of people who have, you know, a lot of money, and my neighborhood is kind of like that, you know, yeah. can be pretty judgmental of each other. And uh, at one point, uh, I was told, I wrote about this in the book, about um, speaking into it. I don't often speak into it, but I felt compelled at this one point and I was told um, your religious views should be silenced they have no place on this um, site so that's the kind of neighborhood it usually is but um, this week I noticed and I ended up becoming a part of this conversation the second one I've ever joined Mm -hmm. but someone said you know if you need help I've got all this time I'm home now I'd be happy to help you You know, by the time it was over, there were 20 people offering to give time or money or run errands. And the only thing I put on there was, I love this. Yeah. Just to affirm, I think if we can affirm the things that are healthy in our children or our grandchildren or our neighbors' lives, um, we get a lot of mileage out of that culturally in the long run. And that what that does is that amplifies the <laughs> the good use of those tools, right? It, right. It, it shows our kids that these things that may feel scary or these things where uh, I remember vividly, like the first time I saw a TV show that I shouldn't have as a kid, being so like emotionally like distraught about it, and like the idea that now that's going to be something that my daughter experiences like on on my cell phone when she like goes to the wrong app or something. Mm-hmm is really terrifying. Um, but that they're to show kids that this is a tool that you can also use that God is also a part of that God is sovereign. That God is sovereign over the internet is a really important lesson. Um, the, how do we cultivate like healthy community and empathetic community in online spaces right now? Yeah. I mean, I think you talked about like starter ways. Okay. Baby steps into what it means to engage digitally. And I think that the easiest is connecting with people digitally, if you're not used to that, whether it's like getting comfortable with something like FaceTime or video chatting, you know, like I think one of the things that's hard about trying to support kids and the stuff they're going through is that we always want to have that um, monologuing conversation. We always want to talk about like the, the deep, hard things and give them all the best things we can give them in the moment. But like sometimes it just looks like playing trucks for two hours with mm. with a kid, and even um, you know with engaging in video chatting and stuff like that. With whether it's with grandparents, whether it's with um, other families, uh, you know this it it can feel new or weird. But the reality is sometimes it's just sitting sitting an iPad down at the table and like let's let's have lunch together. But you're at your house and I'm at my house and. Our kids are there. You know, I'm surprised, and I know that this is not revolutionary, but, like, we have dear friends in Australia, and we'll sit down and do a video chat with them, and it feels like we've jumped across the world and um, had deep, meaningful time. So for any of any of us in engaging with kids and child discipleship, we're building that relational equity for those moments when um, the difficult things do come or that side comment that we say that, really can impact them in the long term um, to say like you're capable of this like mm-hmm. we um, we know you we love you and um, to give them that feeling of community in whatever form it takes so I think video chatting is one way and 
um, for for parents to um, there's an amazing amount of resources being created to help kids not feel alone at home um, through different um, people who are doing Facebook lives. Um, like there's a you know a few children's book authors that are getting on every day and like Mo Willems now is going on at one every day to doodle with kids. There's tons of that kind of stuff going on, not yeah. just, you know, in any one sphere, but in every sphere. And so uh, any of those things are going to give kids a greater ability to, um, to stretch, to connect. Again, I don't know. I don't know how much we'll all be the same after this experience, but not all of that will necessarily be bad. That's and, great. Um, I think that we can look to nurture the good. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales to accomplish our mission of equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Make sure you've subscribed and help us out by rating and reviewing this podcast wherever you're listening so you never miss a conversation. Thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making this all happen. Go to resiliendisciples.com for more, and thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon.